Right, hello. Um, this is something we haven't really done before. So this is Lewin, Bosch Southern One, and uh, we are interrupting your listening pleasure to essentially say, um, I'm over-recording something that we didn't have in our chat. Me and Aaron, we were just chatting, and we got to the trans issue again. Um, and when listening back to it, I kind of thought we were altogether too flippant. Um, we'd had a very flippant episode. So what I'm doing now is I'm trying to record a very measured, uh, and informed and clear little article about what is currently going on with the trans inclusion policies for transgender inclusion policies with British rowing, US rowing, which has changed recently, very recently, in fact, uh, which I'm recording this on April the 15th. World rowing, which is, again, changed quite recently. And most recently, all world athletics, which has actually come out with the strictest um, Olympic sport um, guidelines outside of swimming. Uh, so we're going to go through those uh, and we're going to do this in hopefully the most informed and the most non-flippant manner possible. I, I think this is quite a serious issue and I think it has this, it's what is now seemingly eternal conundrum between inclusion of trans athletes and fairness for women's athletes. And it's a difficult needle to thread. So the first thing that we should say is the British rowing, um, the US rowing policy, such as it was, and this is really important, world rowing's policy and the world athletics policy are all largely based around the hormone testosterone, the male sex hormone. And so the first thing that I think we should do is get a few figures on the board with regards to what is a normal range for men, a normal range for women, and in in certain cases, the exceptional range for women. And I'll explain this while I'm discussing this. So uh, the information that I'm discussing is taken from the journal Clinical Endocrinology, uh, which can be found as a free article online. It is Richard V. Clark, first published 23rd of August 2018. Uh, it's Richard V. Clark et al., um, there's a team of, I think, five or six, seven authors, in fact, um, and it is available as a PDF. It is fully available to download, and this is a narrative review, the frame of reference for elite athletes in sex-specific competition in sports. Um, and their key statement is there a lot is that there is a large divergence in testosterone concentrations between men and women. Essentially, there is no overlap. 
So let's have a look at what their results were. And they have they have collated the results for um, large numbers of studies um, in different individuals. Um, and specifically, uh, normal healthy range. Now, all the figures we're going to be giving here, are gonna, I'm going to be working in the units of nanomoles per liter. There are different units, and you've got to be sure that you're getting the right one when you're looking at these things, because essentially you can have two numbers which mean the same thing, but they're in an order of magnitude different. So um, what we're talking about here is nanomoles per liter. So if you have a liter of blood, there will be a certain number of nanomoles of testosterone in that liter of blood. Now, uh, I'm afraid you're going to have to go back to your GCSE chemistry. I don't think I've really got time here to explain what a mole is, but it is a way of measuring the number of actual molecules of testosterone. So, now here we go. The in nanomoles per liter or nanomolar, a healthy male range is between essentially about seven nanomoles per liter and twenty six nanomoles per liter. Those are the, that is the range. Um, and that includes the extremes. If we're looking at a mean range, we are talking fairly consistently in the, um, or not a, a mean figure, we're talking fairly consistently around about 19 nanomoles per liter. Now, for a healthy female, this is this is important, um, and we can argue about descriptions of healthy, but there is an important exception to this that I will come to later. A healthy female range is between, and this has been studied repeatedly, it is between less than 0 0.5 nanomoles per liter, um, so it's about looking at the figure one in um, this paper I'm looking at. That's just say the name of the paper again. It is Richard V. Clark, 2018 et al. in the Journal of Cl Clinical Endocrinology. And we are looking at a range of about 0 0.3 nanomoles per liter to at most... 2.1 nanomoles per liter. So essentially, we're talking about an order of magnitude less. If you think that the healthy male mean, um, the healthy male range is between seven and 20, uh, seven and, oh, no, misread the scale, seven and 30 nanomoles per, la per liter. And the healthy female range is between 0 0.3 and 2. Essentially, there is an order of magnitude. And in the studies of healthy males and healthy females, there was no overlap. Now, 
We then have a condition known as polycystic ovarian syndrome. Now, again, I'm not going to go into precisely what this is referred to as uh, what this is talking about, um, but this is characterized as a treatable illness, both with pharmacological in interventions and in some cases, surgical interventions. This is not a disorder of sexual development. Um, women with PCOS, as it's referred to, polycystic ovarian syndrome, have um, sexual characteristics and that are entirely in keeping with their chromosomal characteristics. So they are XX individuals who present as women. Now, here, and this is quite important, here we have a much wider range and a slightly higher mean. So if you think that the mean for a healthy female for testosterone levels is one nanomole per liter, and the mean for PCOS individuals is about 1.5 to 1.7, based on figure one in Clark et al. 2018, Journal of Clin Clinical Endocrinology. This is one part of it. So PCOS can be slightly higher, but critically the range is much wider. And at the highest end of the range for PCOS individuals, women who have polycystic ovarian syndrome, you have a, test, a detected testosterone level of 5.5 nanomoles per liter, which is much, much higher than you would normally expect in most women. This is a very, very rare finding, but can we please bear that in mind when we're talking about the figures that world rowing, world athletics, and this is important, British rowing give. So there is the, there's this discrepancy between 2.5 nanomole per liter and five nanomole per liter. So Healthy male range around about slightly less than 20 nanomole per liter as, a, as an average, as a mean, and it fluctuates between about seven and going up to 30, 35. Healthy female range, order of magnitude less. Um, the mean is about one nanomole per, lit per liter and that fluctuates between 0.3 nanomoles per liter and two nanomoles per liter, slightly higher, just very fractionally higher than two nanomoles per liter. And then you have PCOS individuals who have a slightly higher mean and around 1.5 to 1.7 and a much wider range. So they can drop all the way down to 0.3, but they can be as high as 5.5. So this has been detected, 5.5 nanomoles per liter. Summary over. Right, we now have, if I'm just going to come back to my little thing here, those are the reference ranges, the rowing policy. So first of all, I would like to talk about the British rowing policy for a transgender athlete. So 
the trans and non-binary individuals seeking to compete in the women's category. Now, as far as I can see, this is um, this section applies to any trans or non-binary person whose gender identity was not female at birth, wishes to compete in the women's category in domestic competition. Um, so this is very kind of clearly aimed at amateur competition. This is not the elite competition. So a trans or non-binary individual who wishes to participate in British Rowing domestic competition must, as a condition to such participation, com comply in full with this policy and procedure. That's the first part. Um, cooperate promptly and in good faith with the Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Lead and expert panel in discharge of their respective responsibilities under this policy and procedures, including providing them with all of the information and evidence they request to assess their compliance. So this places a very large onus on the individual concerned, on the individual trans or non-binary competitor who wishes to compete within the women's category. So the suggestion is this is someone who was born male, but now identifies as either non-binary or female, and as such wishes to compete in the women's category. British Rowing has two categories. They have the open category. Anyone can compete. A woman can compete in the open category if they so choose. Then we have the protected women's category. Um, now, various people have said that this is like really quite, you know, they don't agree with it. They said there should be a men's category and a women's category um, because this is derogatory to women. I, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn when I said Eric Murray was one of our guests who disagreed with this categorization. However, it does provide freedom to women to compete with men should should they be invited to and should they so choose to um now so fundamentally again this is going to come down to testosterone so the requirement is if you are over 16 you must you have to have medical evidence to show that an individual serum testosterone concentration has been less than five nanomoles per liter continuously for a period of at least the previous 12 months. Individuals will be expected to maintain this level for as long as they wish to compete and may be subject to spot checks from time to time or medical evidence to show that the individual has undergone certain surgery for the purposes of transitioning and therefore does not need to undergo hormone treatment. Now, this is essentially an orchidectomy, the removal of the testicles that I think they're discussing. Now, if you're under 16, um, this is going to take place on a case by case basis. But let's just discuss what is we're talking about in the over 16 category. So the over 16 category here requires you for a period of 12 months to have 
a testosterone level that has been found in women, five nanomoles per liter, but only women suffering from polycystic ovarian syndrome. This is a, and that was at the outer edge of that range. If we return to um, Clark et al., this was genuinely the, there were four studies looking at women with polycystic ovarian syndrome and a, this was the most extreme case. And this was also the case which had the widest possible range of outcomes. So women with polycystic ovarian syndrome tend to have a higher average level, a higher mean level of testosterone than what I've described as healthy female women. Polycystic ovarian syndrome is categorized as an illness. However, from what I'm seeing on this data with this study, um, where are we? This would be the Jantz uh, 2011 study. Um, this had a very, very wide range. So this was a genuinely remarkable occurrence when a woman had a measured testosterone level of 5.5 nanomoles per liter. So the policy set out by British Rowing is asking those who were born male to reduce their testosterone levels for 12 months to the highest level ever found in a woman. So you can argue that this is not a great reduction of the competitive physical advantage bound by men in women. Okay, so this is this is really um, you know, this is this is not a particularly stringent case, as we're going to see when we look at the world rowing um, case. So that is that is what British Rowing currently have listed on their website, dated May uh, May 2022, with the policy interim review of December 2022. This is the PDF that they have. What other announcements have been made? I am. Um, let me just go back and let me have a look at Google. So yeah, that's still. Um, as far as I can see, this is the latest British rowing policy. It's certainly the PDF that's up on their website. Now, we then move on to world rowing, which has recently, on the 15th of March, 2023, so this is almost exactly a calendar month ago from uh, this world rowing used to have this standard of five nanomoles per liter or less for at least 12 consecutive months. Now, this is we need to remember that this is the absolute maximum level found in women with a an accepted 
medical illness. Okay, so this is this is quite a big deal. Which then leads us to their revision. World Rank has revised this. So one criterion in case of gender transition is the rose serum testosterone concentrations is now 2.5 nanomoles per liter. So this is the highest level found, the extreme level found in healthy women as judged by about five studies. Again, it is the most extreme case, but this is where you would see a healthy woman, woman with high testosterone, which is 2.5 nanomoles per liter. And that has to be the case for at least 24 months. Now, this is really important because they're doubling the time and they're halving the acceptable level. Now, there are, with regards to British rowing, there are, there's another caveat, which is buried right down at the end of the policy, which is section 10, page 14 on the PDF, costs. So let's just make clear about this. The costs of any medical assessment assessment, examination, treatment, monitoring, reporting, and any other costs involved in complying with the regulations will be borne by the relevant individual. This is a notable issue. And this is essentially a bar to all but the wealthiest or most medically supported transgender individuals competing because you're not going to meet those costs. Um, a, uh, a testosterone blood test done by a lab is about 110 pounds. And you're probably going to have to do that once a month. You have to show that your testosterone levels have been continuously British rowing below five nanomolars in world rowing below 2.5 nanomoles. And that's just the testing, that's the monitoring. Treatment, examination, medical assessment, monitoring, reporting, all of those things, the costs must be borne by the individual, the individual trans athlete that wishes to compete. I would say this is a very, very significant financial disincentive to any trans athlete competing to any trans woman competing in British rowing or world rowing for that matter. Right. So that is British and world rowing. US rowing had a policy that I'm not going to go into, but um, it is very clear that they have turned it to a draft policy. They are no, the, the very controversial US rowing policy has actually been turned, is under review and is in draft form. If you go onto their website, they are going to ho hold five um, meetings on Thursday the 20th at 8 
of April to Thursday, May the 19th, um, for comment and feedback on this. US Rowing do not have a enacted transgender athlete policy at the moment. Um, and it was their previous policy received a huge amount of pushback and was not at all popular. So we now look at world athletics and world athletics. Um, let me just find the relevant. Okay, so yes, there are. Um, World athletics have come down with a very, very clear range of policy prescriptions. They have essentially said that at the world ranking level, and this is really important, so this is at elite competition, um, no athlete who has been through male puberty may compete in the women's category. It's just, it just can't happen. Um, and these are um, and, and, you know, essentially this is final. So what I'm just going to do is I'm going to read what is defined in world athletics as in the policy, the eligibility relegation regulations for transgender athletes as eligibility conditions for transgender female athletes. To be eligible to compete in the female classification in the world ranking competitions and to have recognized any world record performance in the female classification at a competition. This is not a world ranking competition, a transgender female athlete. This is what they're describing as a person who was born male, but has transitioned to being a woman. Um, a transgender female athlete must meet each of the following conditions. So this is not one or, but it's all of them. To the satisfaction of the expert panel. So this is this is going to be significantly um, monitored. So first of all, they must provide a written signed declaration in the form satisfactory to the medical manager that their gender identity is female, a sworn declaration, essentially. They must not have experienced any part of male puberty, either beyond Tanner stage 12 or after age 12, whichever comes first. Now, this is the radical part of this. This essentially says that any athlete who was born male, who wishes to compete in the women's category must have blocked puberty before the age of 12 or before Tanner stage two, which I believe is a very, very clearly defined medical definition of puberty. Okay. Then 
Since puberty, they must have continuously maintained the concentration of testosterone in their serum below 2.5 nanomoles. So you're probably going to have to prove that. So you are effectively going to have to block the action of testosterone in your body before puberty. So as a child, you are then going to have to monitor the level of testosterone in your blood at least once a month until you reach adulthood and start competing. This is de facto an administrative block on any male, born male transgender competition in the female or the, or the women's category, as we think of it in rowing. Um, because it's just an administrative and medical historical task that must be maintained over something like somewhere between four and 10 years. It's, it's essentially a de facto outright ban. And given that world athletics is almost certainly, um, you know, the biggest part of the Olympic games, I would expect that within a year, probably before Paris 2024, all Olympic sports will have a similar policy in place. Um, because it's not going to make sense if kayaking has and canoeing have a different policy to athletics at the same Olympic Games. Um, and I think world athletics is going to lead the way in this. Now, this, let me just bring up my little thing, um, the consequences of this. Now, people who have been campaigning for the safety of women or the safety of women's sports or the prevention of any male participation in women's sports, this policy from World Athletics, which I would be very, very surprised if it doesn't spread out into rowing, um, world rowing has tightened their policy from British rowing's policy. Um, th these things all are going to snowball down. So essentially what is a de facto ban by world athletics on trans women competing in the women's category is going to snowball down. And we can say that by um, by 2024, this is probably going to be universal at the elite level across all sports. Now, there are certain caveats to this. Um, World Athletics is not GB Athletics. It is not British Rowing. It is not discussing the what happens at a domestic level, at an amateur level, at a junior level. This is quite important. And 
individual national federations and national governing bodies will adjust their policies in time, but the world athletics policy is not final across the world. It is not final. The world athletics policy is not final in rowing. The British rowing policy is. There is obviously now a differential between the world rowing policy governing elite competition and the British rowing policy governing domestic competition. Um, These are really, you know, there is going to be a lot of confusion going forward. So we we at Broken Oars are most concerned with club rowing. Um, that's what we kind of like like to talk about. And you know, while we love Olympic and world rowing, we're not Olympic rowers. We're not world rowers. We are club rowers. And so, at the club level, the current regulations are that provided you can pay for the administration of this, if you are a trans woman and you can show that your testosterone levels have been below five nanomolar for the past 12 months, you can compete in the women's category. This is a very difficult thing to manage. It would be very expensive. And um, it's not a de facto ban. I think it's possible. Um, But it would make it very difficult for a trans woman to compete in a women's category in the um, or compete officially in the women's category in the uh, in domestic competition in the UK. So that's the status for women's rowing, as far as I can see it in the UK. We now have this, the constant ongoing battle, which is the battle between the desire for inclusion. And as we've repeatedly said on Broken Oars, we believe sport is a fundamentally good thing. Rowing is a fundamentally good sport. And as many people should have the access to rowing and the access to inclusion in rowing and inclusion in rowing competition as possible. And preventing people from competing in rowing, it, it, it's bordering on something that is a an intrinsically bad thing. And so we support inclusion in rowing and rowing competition. We also support fairness. And um, I think what the World Athletic um, world athletics, increasingly uh, world rugby, um, increasingly um, FINA or world swimming have all said is that it is impossible to have inclusion of trans women, so men, uh, people who were born male who have become women. Um, it is impossible to have them in the women's competition and ensure fairness, and in some cases, safety of for women athletes. This is a constant battle. And I would also finish this by saying, 
the most recent survey, um, the census in Britain found that 0.1% of the male population identify as trans women. 0.1% of the female population identify as trans men. So we're talking about 0.1% of the population. So working at roughly 70 million, that is um, 70,000 individuals. We are saying too, because if you are a trans man, you are born female and you have um, become a man, you will be probably taking testosterone and you will fall foul of the regulations on doping. We are saying to roughly 70,000 individuals in this country, in a population of 70 million, yes, so it's a very small percentage, but we are still saying to 70,000 individuals, you can either not compete or it is exceptionally difficult and expensive for you to compete in rowing. This is not an unabashed victories for sport. This is a negative thing. It may, from certain people's point of view, come with positive consequences for fairness. And we've spoken to those people, and it's undoubted that this is a very, very strongly held belief, and that the presence of a trans woman in women's sports can lead the infamous chilling effect where women just walk away from that sporting category and don't compete and are not interested in competing. Um, and so people are not included because of fairness. But again, we have reduced the pool of people who can benefit from rowing competition by essentially 70,000 people. This is not, we, we, we cannot present this as an unalloyed good thing. There is an issue here. There is, there are people who are losing out. And when whatever policy we consider, we must be aware that those people will lose out. And their views should be taken on board. And they should not be summarily dismissed. However, 35 million roughly speaking, women live in this country. And they also have the right to benefit from a fair category in women's rowing. There is a undeniable conflict of rights in this issue that neither of us at British Rowing, at, if only, at Broken Oars Podcast, know how to solve. Thank you for listening.